The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy, says Psalm 126. This morning, I want to talk to you about what C.S. Lewis called the serious business of heaven. I also want to talk to you about God's will for your life, what it is that God wants for you, and what it is that God wants from you. But before we do, let's take a little time to review our Latin and remember what day it is. For centuries in the West, on this third Sunday of Advent, we gathered together in the church and we sang this song as the priests entered into the sanctuary. Gaudete in Domino Semper, et terum dico Gaudete. Of course, we were singing that hit song recorded by the Apostle Paul on his Philippians 4 album. You guys have that on vinyl, right? You remember it. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The Lord is near. Today is Gaudete Sunday. Gaudete means rejoice. The pink candle, it's the color of joy. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. C.S. Lewis said that joy is the serious business of heaven. And I told you that this morning, I want to talk to you about God's will for your life, and I believe that joy is what God wants for you and what God wants from you. His will for your life is joy. Joy is what God wants for you. At Christmas, Jesus came down to unleash the joy of heaven on earth. And we read about the story of Christmas in Luke 2, how the angels came and announced to shepherds. What did they have to announce? Good news of great joy for all people. And whatever it is that this Jesus story is going to be about, we know it's going to be about one thing. It's going to be about joy for all people. And then two chapters later in Luke 4, we see grown Jesus walking into the local synagogue, and he opens up the scroll, and he reads from Isaiah 61, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, the same passage that we read here this morning and after Jesus reads it, he says, hey, this passage is about me. And today, Isaiah 61 is fulfilled in your hearing. This is what he had read. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim freedom for captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion and to bestow upon them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the sign of mourning, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. 
It's the announcement that God's agenda for his people is joy. Isaiah's message is good news for an oppressed people, for exiles, for Israelites who were being held captive in Babylon, daily mourning the forced removal from their homeland. And here he is saying the year of the Lord's favor is coming. Get ready. Your fortunes are about to change. The time of grieving is coming to an end. The time to break out the oil of joy and put on your party clothes. It's here. There is a book now turned miniseries on Netflix called All the Light You Cannot See. And it's set in a small coastal town of Saint-Malo, France, during World War II. And like so much of Europe, you get the sense that this place was incredibly beautiful and idyllic before the war started. But now, sadly, Saint-Malo lies in shambles from bombardment. The Nazis occupy town in with their reign of terror and of death. The townspeople are captive in their own home. And there is a deep sense of mourning of what they had before the Nazi occupation came and a deep sense of powerlessness to free themselves from their oppressors. And whatever we might think of the joie de vivre or the the Belle Vie, it has completely disappeared from Saint-Malo. A little spoiler alert. You might have to cover your ears if you haven't watched the series or if you don't know how World War II ends, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm guessing most of you do. And as you can guess, Saint-Malo's fortunes change. There is an army that has come to rescue them. And there is a scene in the movie where the Americans who have liberated the town and have pushed out the Nazi occupiers are going through the streets in their tanks, and the people of Samalo come out into the streets to greet them with joy, right? And there's much dancing, and there's much rejoicing in the streets, and women are hopping up on the tanks, right, and hugging these soldiers. And there's joy in the streets of Samalo. And up until this point, you've only witnessed these characters in their sad, oppressed state. And now you see them cheering with joy to welcome their liberators. And if you haven't seen the series, you're probably at least familiar with other scenes that you have seen from World War II, or you can begin to imagine what that kind of joy must feel like. And I wanted to name that and hopefully feel that for a minute with you because it's the same kind of picture that Isaiah 61 is painting for us. It's God's promise to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning. It's the garment of praise, the party clothes, instead of a spirit of despair. And Luke wants us to see how Isaiah 61 is being fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is God's chosen Messiah, the one anointed by the spirit of the sovereign Lord, who preaches good news to the poor, and the oppressed masses are flocking to see him. 
And they are receiving healing and restoration and freedom. And in a land occupied by spiritual forces of darkness, Jesus is moving from town to town, and he is announcing the good news. And as he goes, he's driving out the powers of evil and liberating the people as he journeys to Jerusalem. And the result is joy. The Messiah is establishing his kingdom of joy wherever he goes. Now, often in America, we have a hero complex by virtue of the very movie I just described. (laughs) And so when I read a book or watch a movie, I find myself often wanting to identify or just naturally identifying with the hero. I identified with the rescuer rather than the ones being rescued. And it would be for easy for us to say this morning, you know, the same spirit that rested on Christ dwells in you. And by virtue of your baptism and when Christ came to dwell in you, you have the spirit of the sovereign Lord in you. So let's go out and do this. Let's go bind up the brokenhearted. Let's announce the good news to the oppressed poor. Let's comfort those who mourn. And that's a good sermon, too. It's a good sermon for Pentecost. But today is the third Sunday of Advent. And instead of thinking about ourselves as the rescuers, we need to remember just how desperately we needed a rescuer. We were the ones who were poor, perhaps not financially, but at least spiritually, we were bankrupt. We were oppressed by sin and death, held captive to the devil to do his will, as it says in 2 Timothy 2. We were living as exiles, separated from the good future that God had planned for us. We were living in darkness, spiritually blind, and without hope of saving ourselves. And then we heard the good news. Jesus, chosen by God to be our Messiah, anointed by the Holy Spirit with power and authority, with his death on the cross, he defeated the powers of sin and death. He defeated the evil powers and principalities that oppressed humanity. And with his precious blood, He ransomed us from captivity to the foreign power of sin and brought us home into the kingdom of righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit. And we live by faith, trusting in his promise that we will live forever in the joy of his eternal kingdom. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Joy is what God wants for you. And joy is also what God wants from you. As we read today in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, 
and give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, I can imagine that some of us have been praying, God, what's your will for me? Like, what is it that you want? And this morning, Paul is here to tell us exactly what God's will is for us. And that will is to rejoice at all times. I want you to notice that Paul is not saying that God is going to make everything go your way so that you just feel happy all the time. The command to rejoice is coupled with the command to give thanks in every situation. And in both cases, these are choices that we have to make. And Paul is telling us you have a choice, and he's encouraging us to choose joy. It's different from pretending that you are a happy Christian and that because you're following God, everything is going good in your life. I want to compare for you, you know, some different ways of seeing it. The first one would be, I would say, that category. We might call it superficial happy Christians. And in this form of Christianity, we overemphasize victory. So it's all about how everything's going good in your life because you're a Christian and because you know God. And in this form, we are afraid to acknowledge grief and failure, poverty, or loss. Several years back, I know someone who is a precious woman of faith, devout Christian, in church every Sunday, and tragically lost her husband much earlier than anyone ever thought would happen. And she went to a really, a really great church in so many ways, but it was definitely one of these victory churches where the idea was that God is always going to show up and always going to save you and always going to make you happy. And, it, and from that time on, she hasn't been in church since. And I'm not exactly sure all the details of her life and, you know, what her story is that would be for her to tell. But I have wondered, could it be something to do with the community in which she was formed had no real place for grief, had no real place for what happens when something goes wrong in your life? And then there's a second group. And this group we could call Christians that make space for lament. And in this second group, they're criticizing the happy, clappy Christians, right? They have recognized that there's uh, psalms in the Bible, in one case, one whole book that is dedicated to lament, and they're pointing out that we have to make space for lament. And so this group can be defined by its ability to name and lament real suffering and injustice in the world. And these folks have a lot of helpful things to say to us. I remember when I was a seminarian at Fuller, there was a theologian who I respect and have gleaned from named Sun Chan Ra, and he wrote a book called Prophetic Lament. And he came and he talked about the need for us to acknowledge lament and how lament was connected with justice. And it's possible that if you're here this morning and you heard me say that joy is what God wants for you and joy is what God wants from you, you maybe were thinking that we were going to be sitting here this morning in the first group. 
But I actually think that there is a group beyond the second group that the Apostle Paul is calling us into. And this is a group of Christians who rejoice in the Lord despite their circumstances. These are Christians who are fully honest about the loss, pain, suffering, injustices that they are experiencing. And yet they are able to choose joy. Think about who is giving us this command. Do you know a little bit about the life of the Apostle Paul? He isn't exactly living what we would call the Belle V, as we could imagine it, right? Probably writing this letter from prison, if not this one, the next one. He's literally all the time getting his face kicked in, beaten, left for dead, persecuted by Jews and pagans alike, sometimes shipwrecked. We don't have someone living the easy life, looking down on us and asking us, hey, why aren't you guys happy? Paul is someone who has been thrown in prison, and while he is in prison, locked in chains, he can begin to sing praises to the Lord and be filled with the joy of the Lord. He is someone who knows how to, count, to, who knows how to rejoice that he is counted worthy to suffer for the sake of the gospel. When I think of closer to our times of a great example of rejoicing in the Lord in all times and in all circumstances, I am always brought back to the black church. What people in America have been more mistreated? For decades, black folks experienced segregation in the South and de facto segregation in the North marginalized in every way and excluded from full participation in every major sphere, educational, economic, political, etc. In almost every town, you could expect the poorest part of town to be where the black folks were living. And yet, where would you expect to find the most joyful sounds coming from a church on a Sunday. What church could excel the most at rejoicing always? Well, I would say the happiest singing and the joyful hands clapping and the feet dancing before the Lord happened among the most marginalized people. Friends, the black church in America is a wonderful example to the world of what it means to Rejoice always. These folks have never been in denial about their situation, about suffering or oppression or loss. And yet they know how to show up and rejoice in the rock of their salvation. Some of us in our church here are going through some real trials as well. Maybe this morning when you heard that part about Jesus preaching good news to the poor, it really resonated with you. Like, hey, thinking about my financial year this year, uh, things aren't going so well. And maybe a Merry Christmas is not going to fix that. One of our parishioners had a major surgery recently after suffering a stroke. Two other parishioners have parents that are undergoing major surgeries or recovering 
a lot of us are dealing with tough situations related to our families or our health. Some of us are dealing with the loss of loved ones, others with the long lo- with the loss of long-time relationships. For some of us, the holidays are a reminder of how we feel, how alone we feel in the world. And to us this morning, Paul would say, yes, that is all true. Your pain is real. Your sorrow is real. Your loss is real. And right now, right in this moment, God's will for you is to rejoice always, pray nonstop, give thanks in every circumstance. How does this work? How do we do this practically? I wanna just give you a few ways that you can rejoice this week and always. One, rejoice in your salvation. In fact, if you pray the Anglican morning prayer that we can pray, the daily prayer, it has the venite, so Psalm 95 is, the, is in there at the beginning. Let us sing with joy to the rock of our, come let us sing to the Lord, let us sing with joy to the rock of our salvation. It's assuming that every single day of our life, and it knows that we're going to have good days and bad days, that we're going to come before the Lord and sing with joy to the rock of our salvation. We can rejoice in our salvation remembering Isaiah 61, remembering how helpless and oppressed we were when Jesus found us, remembering that we are like the citizens of San Malo, that we were oppressed and unable to save ourselves and how Christ came to rescue us from the rubble of our life that was under power of sin and darkness. Another thing we can rejoice in is rejoice in what God has made available to us in Christ. And just think about all the benefits of being adopted into his family. You've been filled with God's spirit. You've got the gift of the Spirit, the gift of guidance and of comfort and of help. And along with that, the fruits of the Spirit have been made available to you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, all these things made available to you in Christ through the Spirit. You can rejoice that you belong to God's family. You can rejoice that he's given you a concrete family here on earth, this parish. Brothers and sisters that are ready to walk with you and care for you. A third thing we can rejoice in is rejoice in the Lord by finding delight in the people around you. Your family, your friends, your colleagues. I can always complain about my kids or I can find delight in my kids. And I would guarantee you in every moment there's cause for both, right? I can always find a reason to complain 
but I can always find a reason to delight in them. And the same thing I can say for my kids is the same thing that you can say for your boss. It's the same thing that you can say for your colleague. It's the same thing you can say about your neighbor across the fence. Ask for God's grace to help you rejoice in him by finding delight in the people around you. A third thing would be to rejoice in the Lord by finding delight in God's creation. That Psalm 95 that we sing every morning goes on to say this, in his hand are the caverns of the earth and the heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his for he made it and his hand have molded dry land, celebrating God's creation and his sovereignty. In my house, we've been reading some Mary Oliver poems and she is a great example of someone who can just stare at a rose or stare at some trees or stare at a frog in a stream and find endless delight. And I would guess that there are many parts of the Bible that Mary Oliver finds challenging to live by. (laughs) But I actually don't think the command to rejoice always is going to be at the top of her list. We can rejoice in the Lord by finding delight in his creation. And the fourth one I want to name is that we can rejoice always because the Lord is coming soon. Did you know that the song we sing, Joy to the World, at Christmas, is actually a song about Christ's second coming? It's an Advent song. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king and let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. This song is filled with images from Isaiah. The Messiah coming to rule the world with truth and grace. And in that day, not only humanity, but all of heaven and all of nature will be singing and repeating the sounding joy. And life can be really tough sometimes. Most of us will have some tough moments this coming week. And some of us feel like we are living permanently in a tough moment. And maybe there is a little sign that there will be different circumstances in the future. And yet in this moment, we can rejoice knowing that the day of the Lord's return is near. N.T. Wright, commenting on this verse in 1 Thessalonians, says, present celebration is rooted in what is already achieved in Christ and what is thereby guaranteed. What God achieved for us in the death and resurrection guarantees for us the hope that he will come again to set the world right, and we will live forever with him in the kingdom of his everlasting joy. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Joy is what God wants for you, and joy is what God wants from you. Amen.